I'm Chad Rutherman. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And welcome to No Clip Pocket. In space, no one can hear you scream. Today, we're going to be talking about Tacoma, which was a game that was released in 2017 and was developed and self-published by Fulbright. Yeah, but first, if you could give us a like or rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, so, <laughs> Tacoma is a so it's a sort of a walking sim game. It's a it's a game where you move around a space station, and you interact with logs and physical objects and things in your environment in order in order to uncover the story of what happened to the people on the station. Um, and it is a follow up to Fulbright's first game. Uh, which is Gone Home, and we have both dabbled a bit in playing Gone Home uh, in the interim. Uh, it is a game that we covered five years ago. Yeah, it was like one of the first ten episodes, I think. Yeah. So it's been yeah, a very long time. <laughs> so yeah, had to revisit it for a refresher. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I wanted to is because when I played this game, when I played Tacoma, it... I was unsure, one, how similar it was to Gone Home, even though it felt very similar. I wasn't sure how much overlap there was in design. And also just, like, something felt missing to it for me. And I I don't know, I wasn't sure what that was, but now with the revisitation and everything, I feel like there are actually interesting comparisons to make. You know, I had a similar experience. Uh, I wasn't sure if you were going to uh, as well or not. But, yeah, this is a spiritual sequel or, like, you know, a spiritual successor, rather, mm-hmm. uh, to Gone Home, as you were describing. And, um, yeah, when you boot it up, like, it. well, for one, one thing that stood out to me is this looks so much better than Gone <laughs> Home. Like, I didn't realize it just uh, how dramatic the improvements uh, mm-hmm. have have gotten um which was it's cool to see like we talked about this i think with uh telling lies it's like the the first game was like a smaller budget affair and mm-hmm. then the second one uh they just really pump up that visual fidelity um but yeah so yeah i think what ends up cuz i replayed gone home like yesterday or 2 days ago and I think the thing that feels like it's missing is the, like, personal element. Um, In Tacoma, it feels really distant or, like, you're just interacting with these logs and it's, like, it's not as relatable. Um, And, yeah, it's, like, that is, like, really what creates, like, the atmosphere, I think, in Gone Home is that it it feels like a very personal story that you can, like imagine yourself in it's easier to picture what's going on and relate to it yeah i think and i don't want this podcast to be a gone home redux like if people are interested (laughs) in hearing that considering how old the original episode is i would consider it yeah do an epilogue episode however the the comparison i think needs to be made up front at least so that we can move past it right in that Gone Home is a really personal narrative. It's something that's very easy to relate to um, because of the... It's like near modern day 
time period setting, the characters in it, the struggles that they go through, and the things that they're interested in are all sort of crafted to relate to people who are likely to be the ones playing the game. It's a really personal story, and it's it's mostly about a single character. It's like their narrative, and then the three or so supporting characters around it. Um, so not to spoil Gone Home. Uh, it is just like, by the end of the game, you feel very invested in this particular relationship that's developing. And in Tacoma, you really don't. You're given a lot to care about. And on paper, I think the concept is more appealing, especially to a wider audience. But it, at the same time, I think that that sort of loses its focus. And I think that's what I was missing in this game. Like, I liked this game, mm-hmm. and we'll get into all of the good reasons why. However, it just, it didn't, this feels like a game that I will forget about over time, whereas I keep going back to Gone Home in my head whenever I think about, like, the excellent storytelling that's in that game. The reason that Gone Home feels novel, even though this game definitely has more in terms of mechanics and stuff than that game did. Yeah, it's like, it's something about the fact that you're exploring a house as well. Like, learning about a person, like, this, experiencing this kind of a narrative um, through, ex- like, learning about a character through exploring their house and, like, looking at their stuff and, like, seeing the things that they did just feels like a really natural fit. Mm-hmm. And when you put it on a space station and you try to do, like, personal stories of, like, the crew and everything, like... It, it, it almost feels like, I don't know, like it should be a little bit more like video gamey, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like maybe there should be some more puzzles in it or like, I don't know. There's something about it that it just, it doesn't feel like it is quite as cohesive as the concept of Gone Home. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're satisfied having replayed that whole game to get five minutes of content out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do, I, like, I don't want to to hang up on it too much. No, me neither. Like, I'm sure that if Steve Gaynor was listening to this, the last <laughs> thing w- he would want would be for us to sit here and just ruminate on how good Gone Home was during the entire duration of the <laughs> the Tacoma <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I just wanted to, yeah. Like you said, just wanted to touch base with it up top. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's something, like, because I, I told you, I was like, I'm going to replay Gone Home, or at least part of it, before we do this. Because I need to know. Like, mm-hmm. I need to know if maybe I'm just being nostalgic or I'm, I'm isolating the uh, the good parts of the game. And I don't know. I mean, we'll probably jump back and, and hit a few key points later on. But um, to move on to Tacoma proper, the game that is the, the subject of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you are exploring the space station and you have... The the Ardware, uh, the A-R-D-Ware, I don't know what the hell, it's uh, (laughs) Augmented Reality is the A-R part, I don't remember any of the rest of it. Um, Like, interface, it's basically just like a diegetic in-game UI that allows you to recover data, uh, like surveillance data, based on where like locations and like what you have access to and stuff like that 
And uh, this is like a huge, huge part of everything. And it's sort of, this is where I feel like the technology has kind of come forward as far as the storytelling elements go, because it lets the game be a solitary game where you as Amy just go around the space station and read logs and do shit. Uh, like Gone Home was, and I think what the game wants to be, because it doesn't want to influence your opinion with outside, like, communication so much. But it also allows it to put in, like, quote-unquote live actors, like, actual visual things happening on screen that you can view without it being confined to, like, a VHS or something. Yeah, it takes it that one step further, um, because it's... It, it very much comes from uh, this, like, lineage of um, immersive sim kind of style games, which are infamous for having, like, audio logs to deliver, like, backstory and things of that nature. And so this seems like it's kind of playing with that idea, and it's, like, actually, instead of just having audio logs that you're recovering, it's got this visual element where all the characters are represented with these, like, polygonal... Mm-hmm. Um, versions of themselves that are color coded mm-hmm. uh which is a cool, really memorable visual um and yeah it's so like it, you actually get to see things play out and it, yeah so it, like it takes the concept like a step further in an interesting way i think and just talking about how awesome this game can be visually one of the things that i love about i mean i love almost everything about the like core loop of like finding the uh, the log and then rewatching it and rewinding and following people and I'll get into that but the thing that I love the most is when you see somebody performing an action but you're in the room that it took place in so you only see the end result of it so like the sequence uh, where the uh, we have names hold on uh, <laughs> uh, yeah the sequence with Nat and Bert uh, when they're talking about sort of the despair over their imminent demise trying to get into this this like cargo ship launcher thing mm-hmm. uh and how that affects the work that they're doing right then and Nat jumps at Bert to like to to like initiate a this is like a weirdly clinical way of saying it they fucking <laughs> and uh she jumps on her, and so what you see is she this, jumps her bones. She jumps her bones straight up and down. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, so what you see in this scene is them talking in this room, but the one corner of the room is just like totally fucked up and disheveled. Like all the boxes are are like scattered everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the end, and you see that she's like jumped into it. There's also a pretty memorable one where Andrew, the botanist guy, is like carrying a big tube and like you can see him walking the length of it as he does it it like really enforces sort of like the immediacy of everything and and sort of how you're there in the aftermath so there's a detachment and i i like that a lot yeah no it's it's very cool like it it i think because it makes you use your imagination Mm-hmm. Uh, like it doesn't do all like the work for you. You have to like picture what the characters look like based on like you know you have their pictures, mm-hmm. but then you have to kind of like map that on to like and connect who's who with their polygon person, their fighting polygon team <laughs> member. Um, yeah, and so yeah, I think y- you get more connected that way to like what you're doing like in the moment. 
when you have to like think about it that little bit more. So it's it's, it's more engaging. Yeah. Also, in uh, if because you have to do a little bit of uh, uh, that like theater of the mind stuff, yeah. you know, like putting together everything. I have sort of like unofficially head casted, dream casted the the movie version of this, mm-hmm. and despite the picture of Clive being like obviously not a white guy. I have cast him as Stephen Merchant because he just has this British accent and uh-huh. is this tall, lanky motherfucker who you can't even imagine being a human person. And that is how I imagine <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Merchant is. It's not a bad fit. Uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think it's really good. I think the visuals are really, like, they're both evocative and also in places very pretty. They, they do a good job of, of sort of, like, mixing the confinement of being in the space station and how there's a lot of clutter because there are a lot of things that you need to survive, mm-hmm. a, like, for a long period of time in space, but also you don't have a lot of room for it. So there's a lot of storage, like, compartments and things and just, like, magazines and old food laying around everywhere. Yeah, people have, like, a bunch of stuff in their rooms. Yeah. And stuff, yeah, just to, like, keep it there. Well, I love, um, in Natalie's room, there's a... She she is just... They have mo- she's moved in with uh, Bert for the, the duration of their stay uh, because they are married, and so her room is just more storage. Right. They're just, like, piles of, like, beer cases and the christmas duck from gone home is there mm-hmm. it's really strange <laughs> yeah and they had to like make their like it the there's a makeshift element in their room like a is it they make like a bunk bed or like a like they make a the bed double wide or something i can't remember yeah they'd like push things together and also bert is like painting a mural on one of the walls yeah yeah there's a lot uh of personality to be seen in each of the yeah. rooms for sure now, but one thing that you mentioned um, is that scene where where she jumps her bones, uh-huh. um, and that leads into another thing I think is cool about the like the gameplay loop is that like you're seeing the same scenes from different places and different locations and different perspectives, um, and that's a really good example for this as well. Is that you have um, what is it Sarah and Andrew, I think, are talking in the medical uh, bay or something like that, or maybe it's in uh, Sarah's quarters, I don't remember, um, about the cryosleep, and then you hear the boom in the room with them, and you know, uh, depending on what order you do it in, you either don't know what that was, Mm -hmm. or you know that it's uh, uh, Nat jumping on on Bert. Right. Yeah, it's... it's it's got this, and that's where, yeah, this is a perfect sort of, like, uh So you route. get some, like, yeah, like, non-linear, like, uh, I don't know. It's, like, it's just a really cool dynamic, and I don't feel like I've seen it much in other games. Like, there's probably something. Yeah. But I, I, I haven't experienced anything like that before. Well, the thing that it reminds me of uh, is this Dark Souls is the, uh, the Phantoms. No, I'm kidding. Well, kind of. Uh... 
the the thing about it, the thing that makes it really good is that I love this rewind, pause, fast forward mechanic where you basically choose what group of people to follow. Um, when you go in, sometimes you don't get everybody who's in the scene. Sometimes you do. Uh, no, like the most notable scene I think in the game is when they're actually like uh, Evie calls a meeting for everybody to meet up in Botany to uh, discuss the, their plan moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so there's this like team huddle, and then and everyone splits. They all split into like smaller groups, and so you can follow each of them and figure out what each person is saying about it. Like in a purely linear narrative, this is impossible because you would either have to have a scene with each of them individually that just plays out in a big long line mm-hmm. which would be boring you could do like a split screen thing which would get confusing pretty easily mm-hmm. or just pre-rendered cut scenes or... yeah like there's not a smooth good way of doing it but because of the way this game is set out you can really like you even get to ignore the things that you've already heard before and it also has this element of being able to add secrets you can like somebody might go off and you might just forget about them especially if there isn't a log thing on the timeline um but if you follow after that person hey you get a scene that maybe you wouldn't have seen otherwise Mm -hmm. they'll start in a different room uh and you have to go find them if they're actually involved yeah yeah like that scene in particular is a good one to call out because it does feel like it's like the most emblematic of the concept like it really feels like everybody just splinters in completely different directions Mm -hmm. and you're like oh that decision of like who do i follow you know like you're who do i prioritize like it just remember it feeling the most like interesting in that moment yeah i feel like it would be i would i would want to have this conversation in a more like in a with a wider sample size than just the two of us. Yeah. But I have this idea of this game with time pressure being a really interesting thing. If there was more of a puzzle to it as opposed to sort of like a mystery. Because when you have a mystery it's like you'd need to solve it for the ending to be satisfying mm-hmm. and so they do. Um, and having time pressure would just make that harder and less satisfying. But it would be really weird if you had to, like, actively choose who to... It would be more like a traditional adventure game in this case. But, like like you said, like you choose who to prioritize because it's who you think of as being the most important or interesting in the scene. Um, and you either do it first or you save it for last because you're being a little cheeky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you can rewind and check everybody else's path in the meantime and sort of how that contextualizes what everybody else has been saying. Um, it's really interesting from a storytelling perspective uh, and very weird from a gameplay perspective. Yeah, it does. Like, we were talking at the beginning about how it kind of feels like maybe there's a little bit something missing when you play the game. And. I think this might contribute to that feeling is like, I think you're right. It does. You do think about like, Oh, what if there was more of a challenge to this? Like I had to make decisions about who I went and listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if a time time limit is one way you could do it, but I feel like a bigger area might be a more palatable way to do it. Like, cause as you said, like if people aren't on the timeline, you 
are more likely to miss them. If you had like a bigger space and you had like a character go off and do something like weird mm-hmm. or like, you know, like I feel like you could hide little details and things like really interestingly if you had a bit of a bigger space yeah. uh, to play in. Yeah, I think um, they do what I my favorite like mechanical thing, uh, like because there isn't a ton of mechanics in the game um, for good reasons, part of the design. But they do a thing where there are there elements like lockers and boxes and shit that have key codes. Um, but much more interestingly, there are keys that you can find. And you only have one inventory slot with big quotes around it uh-huh. in that you hold an item in your hand. And when you're holding it, you can't pick up and interact with other things. And some of the things that you interact with are really important to understanding the story. So if you have something that you want to take somewhere else, you're constantly like, you put it down, you pick the other thing up, then you put it down, pick the other thing up. And the reason that I like this, instead of finding it annoying and hating it, is because it felt genuinely like you were accomplishing something. When you take a key from one room into another room to find the the lock that it goes to and then getting rewarded for it, I thought was really good. I, I think that if there were more interesting things that you found using that method, at least that I found, um, it would be really cool. I think you could have really added some interesting plot elements to it. The best part of Waking Up is... Um, the best <laughs> one that they did was Sarah who had both a key lock one that gives you the uh, newspaper article that explains her, like, weird malpractice suit that she was in, Mm -hmm. uh, like, the details on it and how she blamed AI. And uh, the cryostasis status screen thing yeah has a password that you have to actually figure out based on other information because like the key, the password clue is graduation so you have to figure out what year she graduated from school uh so there's like a puzzle solving element to it right and i really liked that stuff when it was there um and i think it made up a lot for the lack of of the of the really strong connection that i wanted with the characters having a more expansive story with more characters but also more for you to do from a puzzle solving perspective made that a little bit of an easier pill to swallow yeah no i agree um yeah it just feels like there's that's it's just kind of like my i feel like my thesis for the game um as far as like my criticisms of it go is like it just it felt like there was more like interactivity and or puzzle solving stuff left on the table um but yeah, no, as it is, like they do both halves, I think, kind of prop each other up. Like the characters and the and the environmental interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh so do you want to talk about the narrative? Yeah. Uh, I was actually going to say that, but then I was like, maybe he has something else, so I'll give him the chance. Yeah. So one thing that stands out to me a lot is the AI, mm-hmm. Odin. Uh, as it's called, it's a little pyramid guy. And I, I think it's a really, really, really well done and effective, like, subversion of HAL 9000. Yeah. 
Because like you start out the game, and at least for me, like it, it starts out. Like, he says something ominous, or you could take as ominous um, about how everything's being recorded on the ship, and you're like, he, he immediately gives you mm-hmm. how nine thousand vibes. <laughs> and you know, there's the whole thing where like the debris hits the space station and he's talking about how like the oxygen supply and you're like is he lying to them is he trying to kill them etc etc and like it sets that up and then just like the way it's executed and like how like you find out that he's actually trying to save the crew and it's like the company Mm -hmm. that runs or owns the space station that's trying to kill the crew i i just think that was really well done Yes, I agree. I think that one of the more interesting elements of the game is sort of like, I don't know how, I don't know if this is the right way to put this. The characterization of the AI, particularly when it comes to sort of like rules, like the fact that the a- that the AI rules, no, uh, <laughs> that the AI has rules that like, it is because of like the and this is like character stuff like natalie is training the ai and is a an advocate of uh, ai rights and so she is training it to do these sort of like kind of critical thinking things and so it takes the instructions from the company to murder them and then tries to, while obeying the literal letter of the law, so to speak, spin its own, like... Loopholes. Yeah, and, like, find all of these things in it where it can turn it around and save it, even if it isn't the, like, the, you were programmed to do this thing to do. Um, And it's really interesting, especially, like, it does make me want to, that more than anything else that is what makes me want to play the game through again to see if you can pick up things like that earlier on that I was able to, right. like, then the reveal. Yeah, no, it just it's just refreshing, I think, because, like, I feel like you can, like, doing just a subversion that's just, like, the opposite of what you would expect can be I don't, kind of, like, feel kind of lazy mm-hmm. and, like, not really that interesting. But, like, it's all about the execution. We're in the subversion meta culturally right now. We are. Now. So, like, yeah, now the expected thing is to do the opposite of the expected thing. Yeah. So you really have to do gymnastics to pull off a good twist. It's just, like, no, like, being subversive can be, especially the older you get, um, a really, really effective, like, tool in storytelling to just not do the same thing you've seen a million times. Mm-hmm. Just about the execution of it, um, which I think they do really well here. It's just, like, it's really refreshing that the AI doesn't just decide the most logical thing to do is just kill everybody. Right. Uh, like, I like the more optimistic spin on it where, like, the AI actually decides to disobey its protocol and save the crew. Yeah. Because it realizes that the... Um, the company is being are the ones that are like breaking their protocol and not doing what they're supposed to do right and also playing into the really the strengths of this developer uh because the ai and furthering the sort of like met not meta necessarily but the like overarching narrative of your character coming in not unknown to you at the beginning of the game to save the AI and to take it somewhere where mm-hmm. it can like not serve under 
the Ventura Corporation. Yeah, like the AI Liberation Front or whatever. Yeah. They are, uh, that like the AI does this because it has formed personal relationships with the crew members. Mm-hmm. Like it likes the crew members in a way that like the logical AI that stereotype cannot. Like right. they don't that's not an in, like a usual element of AI stories. Yeah, it's Turing complete. Yes. Well, unless it is the point of the narrative. Yeah. Which uh, this kind of sort of is. I feel like the narrative is mostly a personal one. Yeah. Uh, and the AI just is a character in that. Yeah, no, it's not about the sentience of AI. Right. But it, it does have it's just that an, element. Yeah, yes. it's just a part of the story. Yeah, and I loved that. Like, I'm a big science fiction nerd, uh, and I like when... Like, because AI is a is a, a tale as old as time, ironically, given how new the technology is as mm-hmm. far as, like, actual uh, progress. But, like, you know, Asimov wrote, like, fucking ten books about AI and, like, oh, this is how a perfectly logical being would act. And, like, here are the rules of robotics and robots are, okay, now are they human? And then you got, like, Blade Runner and stuff where there's, mm-hmm. like, it's almost indiscernible between a robot and a human being. And so I liked this take on it because it was an AI that behaves the way that you expect an AI to be, but then is able to make the connections and sort of become more human, uh, and you just get to see it it sort of, like, reaching that. It gives a lot of weight to what the characters are doing because of how it relates to the AI. Yeah. And I guess to lead into something else, uh, I really like the like social commentary element of like the uh like the world building in this um i i like the like the future that they've set up here feels more like grounded i guess or real than a lot of other speculative futures where like i could kind really kind of see the some of the stuff we see in this actually happening mm-hmm um, where you're you're almost kind of like everybody is like sponsored by a brand, basically. Yeah. Um, which is a kind of cynical view, <laughs> but like one that like you can definitely trace a line and see how they got there. Yeah, yeah. I think the most dystopian part of this this yeah. future, like we get the like almost sort of comical element of the fact that like all of the major players in this are like leisure companies. Uh, like you are part of a very Wally future. Yeah. Like the Ventura corporation is like developing vacation homes in space. Like that's like their primary thing that, that the, the, that the Tacoma station is like working on. And the, the rival that ends up saving the crew members in the end and who, um, Clive was originally an employee for, uh, is carnival specifically the real world carnival that operates cruise lines now just does space cruises Mm -hmm. uh in this game and that's fantastic like that's kind of funny and also like fits and everything yeah it also like feels like it makes some amount of sense exactly yeah and so the most dystopian part of this is the fact that carnival in addition to running cruise lines also uh, operates a university that has like a planned career track from where you go to school uh, Mm. and then directly into working for the same company. And it does sort of, like, put in um, 
like basically like company bucks, like your loyalty to the company. Yeah, uh, as as shorthand essentially for like that style of the workers not being able to like gain any power because they're so beholden to the company. Right. Which is fine. Like it's very black mirror. Yeah. It, it's super not the point of this story and it's just there as a world building thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just it's good icing on that cake. Exactly, yeah. Like the the world it, you feel like you have an understanding of how the economics work yeah. in Tacoma that is surprisingly deep for how little lip service it actually gets. Yeah, it's just like, it, it feels grounded enough in stuff that's happening right now that it just feels like it makes intuitive sense to you. Like, yeah. it's not hard to understand, like, how this world works. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, super good. And actually, I probably would have gone through this whole podcast without even thinking about it, unless you mentioned it. And it, <laughs> it, and it really was, like, going through. It was something that was always in the back of my mind. So I don't know why that that slipped it here. I think it's just it was so well integrated. Uh, I just have, like, one other lingering thing I wanted to bring up. um, As after playing this and gone home again, I was reminded that uh, of 0451 (laughs) as a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I brought up Immersive Sims earlier. Um, But it's like a trope that originated from... um, System Shock? Yeah, yeah, whatever studio. Oh. Looking Glass. Yeah. That's uh, right. uh, who worked on those games. Like, that was like a calling card of theirs that they put that as like a code, mm-hmm. like a key code or something like that in all of their games. And it's been something like that's like a torch that's been carried by certain kinds of games going forward. And I just completely forgot that it was a thing that existed. Um, until pl- replaying these, and I was like, "Oh yeah, like this, O four five one sounds familiar." Like I know, I feel like this is a thing that I like I've heard people talk about before, and I looked it up and went down that rabbit hole yeah. of the history of that. Um, don't know if there's anything really interesting to talk about here. I was just reminded of that is a thing, and I found out that it originates from the book Fahrenheit four fifty one. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because System Shock is a very sort of like future dystopia sort of uh game i remember uh not i guess not to get too far off the rails uh on this episode but like i i remember before there was sort of a breadth of of uh games in the genre and like immersive sim kind of took over as the the catch-all term for these games that are like system shock right um ironically not really bioshock but it has like similar uh it, it, it is on the same ground. Yeah, it's, it's got a not, similar design philosophy. Yeah, it just isn't as, like... It's not as, as sim. It right. Is, it is immersive <laughs> without the sim. Light on the sim. Yeah, very light on the sim. You can light oil and stuff with fire. Um, but, yeah, like, games of the System Shock ilk were just referred to as 0451 games for a while, um, which is, is interesting because it is, like such an insular little joke but yeah the very first um unlockable thing that you come across in gone home is 0451 i mean i guess you can come across it in different order but for most people in the dad study yeah it's an 0451 code uh immediately and that is more paying homage than it is like a signifier of the genre of the game um yeah i wanted to compare it to like the wilhelm scream in Mm. movies 
Like it's just like a it, it's something that I think started as an in joke, and has just taken on like a meaning of its own because it's been carried over into so many other things. Yeah. It is, it's very good. I, and it's, it's funny because like, we don't get to talk about this very often because we don't do a lot of immersive Sims. No, I, I, I didn't grow up with them. I've, the only ones I've played are the ones we've done on this podcast. Yeah. And so, it's rare. Yeah. Cause they do usually take a long time and are usually pretty hard. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not familiar. Uh, I'm not versed in the genre. Yeah. But it is an interesting thing. I actually didn't notice if there was an 0451 in this game. I, I wanted to say it was that first code on Evie's door that oh, you have to like lock. watch her. But I don't quote me on that. But I think that's what the code was. Well, fortunately, people probably aren't listening to this podcast for a walkthrough. So True, that, but like I. But just, if you are, it's 0451. Go try it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just it's something I think it feels unique to video games, like a mm-hmm. genre wide Easter egg. So I just wanted to bring it up. Yeah. Or unique in video games. Not something that's unique to video games. Right. It's like unique to this genre. Uh, do we have cryo freeze thoughts? Um, I guess my thoughts before they go into cryo uh, stasis are... Uh, this game is cool. Um, All right. Thank you for listening to Noclip. (laughs) No, um, yeah, as we we talked about up top, it did feel a little bit um, lacking, uh, given how much we liked Gone Home. Um, And it's it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it is, but it it does feel like this game's kind of begging for a little bit more, like... uh, environmental interaction and or puzzles or like a little bit more space to kind of play with the like uh different location uh different instances of like the same events in seeing them through different locations Mm -hmm. uh just to play with that a little bit more um but for what is here and not judging it based on what i think it could have been uh (laughs) it's it's very good um it's all this a lot of the strengths have gone home uh, carry over like there are some cute personal narratives um the characters are very well voice acted uh the storytelling is good the writing's good there's a lot of uh little personal details they do carry that um immersive sim elements uh through into this very effectively like it's it's interesting to explore all the areas and this game it's a very small space it's a, a space station as you might expect right um it, but it, it's very dense and it ends up feeling bigger than it is um so yeah very well executed um and i liked it a lot like we started this actually i think a couple years ago like we we booted mm-hmm. it up to play and we're both like and I remember, like, the the polygonal people really strongly. I said that was a strong visual. But we were both like, this seems too good to just, like, play right now. Like, we want to play it by ourselves and pay more attention. Right. So we stopped uh, and came, saved it for the podcast. Um, so, yeah, I, I like this a lot. Um, maybe didn't quite live up to my personal expectations, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, yeah. We, we talked about, like, elements of this um, and I am going to 
uh, dock the game points for what I think it could have been. Uh, I'm going to do I, what you were not brave enough to do. I just I would feel bad. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Because I think it is good. <laughs> I think that the point of the game and the strengths of the game are in its characters. The, the fact that this whole game's narrative is run on your understanding of the characters' individual narratives. Um, and... The game sort of lampshades at the very beginning uh, in an email that somebody sends to Clive uh, about how you're on a space station with five other people. Like, you're going to just, like, there is going to be, like, an element of just everybody's fucking each other. And, like, you do see that in the game, like, but also I feel like it's very realistic and natural that that would happen. Yeah. So, like, I'm not upset about it, and I think that it it ends up playing out. Like, everyone sort of has, like, a, with the exception of Sarah, has some romantic connection either on or off uh, ship. And it's seeing those personal relationships and how they interact with each other that is, um, like, a big element of it like personally i think that like sarah was the character that i feel like uh i felt the most like sympathy for yeah she kind of becomes the main character as it goes on yeah i think her and natalie share a huge weight of this narrative Mm -hmm. um her because she is sort of the one who becomes the main character and saves the ship and natalie because she's the one who's the most like uh interactive with the ai um with Odin. And so, like, these characters and their relationships are really what drives the game forward, but they introduce this this element of of the logs and being able to rewind and it just feels like there's so much that if you had this, you would want to do with it. You wanna make all of these uh these wild, like sort of things, like uh puzzles and, and interactions and stuff. Uh, and there's very little of it. And I think that's the biggest disappointment. So basically, I love this game. I think that a lot of the stuff in the game is super, super good. And I think that the narrative and the characters are all really well realized, believable, and is what drives this game forward. But I feel like there's a lot of stuff and a lot of time that you spend doing a sort of rote behavior where I think there could have been a little bit more active participation. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's what I... Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. Good-ass game, though. hmm Thank you for listening to No Clip Pocket. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about indie skateboarding game Ali Ali, uh, which I played briefly on the 3DS several years ago. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, yeah, returning to Chad's favorite niche genre of skateboarding. <laughs> uh, so, you know, grind on in to catch us. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> Until that time, if you want to get a hold of us, all of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro, where you can find links to all of our contact information, including our email address, our Twitter account, our Discord uh, and you can find links to all of our old episodes, including a very, very old episode on Gone Home. Yeah, maybe check out Firewatch instead. Yeah, Firewatch is a good one. Uh, Edith Finch, yeah. I think. Uh, Ethan Carter. Ethan Carter, yep. We, we like walking sims. And we do talk <laughs> about them kind of a lot, so. Uh, ESPN, catch them. <laughs> 
Odin, could you please smash the like button for me? <laughs> Just gonna make all the good noises. All right, that should begin. All right.